Welcome to the Breakfast Leadership Show, where we interview global thought leaders on business, leadership, and life. Here's your host, keynote speaker, best-selling author, and chief burnout officer of the Breakfast Leadership Network, Michael Levitt. Welcome back. I've got Shona Elliott online. Shona, how are you? Good. Hi, Michael. It's nice to be with you today. It's great to have you here. I know we've got an interesting connection because we both worked in the healthcare space in the Ontario government for a period of time. And I am sure that we were at a meeting together at some point and we just never officially crossed paths until recently. So glad to get you on the show and really pick your brain on some huge leadership challenges that we're seeing right now in in the world, uh, especially during this pandemic. So uh, to start off, just uh, give some people a little bit of your background and, and the work that you're doing. Yeah, happy to. Uh, I'm a former CEO and the CEO, uh, the organization I was CEO at was a technology and supply chain organization for hospitals in Southwestern Ontario. And then prior to that, I had 15 years of senior leadership experience in the healthcare sector. So I'm surprised our paths did not cross. Uh, and and uh, that environment uh, in terms of leadership is unlike any other I've led in. So you've had some taste of that and it is uh, animal onto itself. Uh, I was able to uh, be blessed with the opportunity to kind of take a break from leadership. Uh, When my daughter turned one, I kind of threw in the towel, so to speak, and decided to be a stay-at-home mom for a few years while she grew up. And uh, when she started preschool, I had the opportunity to write a book. And I did not think it was going to be on leadership. I thought it would be something altogether different. And as I was writing the book proposal, I just couldn't help but write about leadership. It was effortless. There was a message inside me that I guess I needed to convey. And uh, so that book uh, was published in March, uh, released on Amazon. It'll be in bookstores uh, in April of next year. And my book released uh, just as COVID was hitting. And I was going to spend that time uh, not knowing COVID was around the corner, really working on what my offerings were going to be. And sure enough, uh, with the pandemic, I've got 15 years of pandemic uh, response and planning experience. So I got pulled in pretty quickly in terms of providing some support to leaders. I kind of miss being in the thick of it, having had the opportunity to lead through um, SARS just a couple hours down the road from Toronto and preparing for things like H1N1 and Ebola. So I was disappointed to say the least not to be in the thick of it with COVID, but nonetheless, I could provide some support from the sidelines. And now that I'm in Oklahoma, I got an interesting view of preparing for a pandemic or you know, your response to a pandemic in the U.S. Uh, system versus the Canadian system. So I thought that was quite interesting. And, uh, and you know, as the pandem- pandemic has kind of like moved on, I've had some interesting uh, conversations and providing some support for clients right now as they're just trying to navigate the cultural issues that they need to. And right now, senior leaders, some of them are scared. Some of them are burnt out. The resiliency is just shot, understandably so. This is five, six months in, and it's kind of easy to, you know, all come together for a week or two or a month or two. Now we're five or six months in, and, you know, we don't know what the next normal really is, and so they're needing some support to 
kind of reframe their perspectives, rely on someone that can help them manage the um, stress and the burnout, depending on the organization, and then deal with the complexity of issues that are raising, uh, being raised right now with respect to, do you work in the workplace? Do you keep your employees at home? Do you do a hybrid approach? You know, and what is everyone else doing? And I've had to help a number of organizations try to navigate that for their own organizations. So that's been uh, interesting. Uh, and uh, I'm providing some interesting support for senior leaders in the human resources space. Uh, so I have a unique perspective of having 15 years being an HR senior leader, always with an operational portfolio, and you make decisions very differently uh, when you have an operations team reporting to you as you make HR decisions. You get it wrong, your your operations team are at your front door going, hey, excuse me, uh, who thought this one up? And so you've got to kind of do things differently from an engagement perspective. So I've been sharing how those HR leaders who don't have operations in their uh, portfolio, how they can try to get immersed in operations and be more of a strategic partner to the CEO than they would be otherwise. So COVID has brought some amazing opportunities for me that I wouldn't have had otherwise. And it's just a matter of how I can continue to provide support where it's needed. Uh, and uh, we'll see what's next. It's been an interesting six months and for many people it feels like six years, but it's only been half a year. You know, March 16th seemed to be the, the day, uh, especially in the U.S., where things were really starting to tell on the lockdown. And, you know, Canada, of course, you know, was around the same time as well. So it, it's been an interesting and challenging period of time for all types of organizations where you hit it on the head where you said some have just gone completely virtual, some did a little bit of a hybrid, depending on if their organization was deemed as an essential service, then, you know, they had to navigate through those things. But now that we're several months into this, and depending on your area, there are some organizations that are starting to think about calling their employees back. And there is a resistance, and we talked about this a little bit in the pre-show, where it almost looks like a little bit of a tug of war, where you've got the management and senior leadership feeling that they need to have their employees back in the office type of thing. And the employees are saying, well, wait a minute, we don't need to all be at there at the same time because we're concerned about COVID. We're concerned about what's the space going to look like. All of these things are coming into play. Plus, as we talked about, the cat's out of the bag. Employees have been working and producing for the last six months. Now, to what level? That is debatable. And there's a lot of factors that tie into that. It's not just the same amount of quote-unquote output as before, because many organizations, unfortunately, never really measured that. You know, all they measured was, did you get here by nine? Did you leave after five? That was the measurement technique and not really focusing too much on what was actually being done in that eight-hour block. Or now, it's more difficult for a lot of those organizations to see what's going on unless they Zoom fatigue the heck out of their employees. And if you have, just like before when we were in office spaces, you can have a ton of meetings, and you and I both know about meetings in the Ontario healthcare system. You can have meetings and meetings and meetings, and you eventually go, are we actually going to get to do something? Are we just going to meet? And I, I, I'm hoping that organizations will take this opportunity of what's going on right now 
and really start focusing on more of a task-oriented type of workforce and assigning people to do things, giving them these are the deadlines and let people do their work instead of the micromanagement stuff that we've seen. But it, it's really interesting. And because there isn't a guidebook per se um, that's been followed, every organization is leading a little bit differently, which is creating a little bit of chaos when it comes to trying to figure out, okay, what's the best way to do this? And they're like, well, you got to do the best way for your organization, but there should be some best practices around there. And quite frankly, a lot of those best practices are being developed, um, even with pandemic planning and all the things, there's nuances of this that we you know, didn't see happening because we never really experienced anything like this in our lifetime anyway. So I'd love to hear your thoughts about that. Gosh, there's so much to unpack with all of that. And um, you know, I guess I'll start off with maybe kind of backtracking a little bit uh, in terms of one of the biggest case studies on remote working uh, was with um, Yahoo and Marissa Meyer, I think it was back in 2013, where when she showed up as a new CEO, she basically reversed a lot of the work from home or remote work agreements. And she felt that employees needed to be on site to be productive. And that created lots of turmoil and uh, just distrust of her policy decision. I think there was a lot to unpack in terms of how that was actually rolled out and the communication and the justification and reasoning behind all of that. And so uh, I remember watching that, uh, obviously from the sidelines, but in the organization I was at when she did it, we had lots of people working remote or in not centralized locations. And you really have to, as a, a senior leader, balance productivity and then trust of your employees. So your notion of nine to five is really important. And so I fast forward now, I saw a memo uh, that was uh, circulated or basically a press release from, I think it was the head of Siemens where they're going to try a hybrid approach. So they'll have a few folks working in office a few days a week and then remote after that. And his statement was, we're no longer going to really lead basically based on the time in office, but we're going to lead and expect outcomes. And so we're not going to be holding you to the clock. And here are the outcomes that we, you know, are going to expect you to have and then lead towards those versus just time on the clock. So I find that fascinating. Only time will tell if that actually shows up because it really does depend on outcomes and the intended expectations of those organizations. And so what a senior leader says and what's really realized by the employee groups are, you know, are they aligned or is it a different experience altogether? So now we look at organizations uh, today and uh, senior leaders are wrestling. They want the visibility. They want the cultural connectedness that you do experience in an office setting. There is a, a distinct difference with remote work that the culture isn't as felt, understood, or known. So there is some benefit to being able to see each other and get a better feel for that. And then there is the safety concerns of employees or the challenges uh, here in the US, not all kids are back to school in person. So there is a virtual element. So how do you expect parents to be around in navigating the virtual homeschooling environments and then be in an office? So there's so many complexities around that. And so each organization, there's no silver bullet. Each organization is providing a unique uh, service, unique offerings, 
depending where you live, you know, there's different elements with respect to the children and if they're in school or not. And so how do you as a senior leader navigate all of that to make the best decision for your organization with the information you have on hand? And so for me, the starting point is always the same when it comes to making decisions, which is you have the conversation with the employees themselves. And that sounds simple. And yet, it isn't easy and it takes time. And a lot of leaders don't want to hear that because they want something. (laughs) They just want to make a decision now and move on with it. And so uh, in organizations I've been helping uh, try to navigate this decision. So you need to have some ability to have conversations. Maybe you can't hear each employee if you're a CEO of a large organization, but there are ways to funnel that information up to you. And even if you're a CEO of a large organization, my advice would be find a way to connect with a handful of employees anyways. And so that is hard when it's remote uh, and you can't just swing by uh, offices or, or hit the office floor, so to speak. But you need to find a way that works so for you. And having those conversations, being able to hear the stories will help shape your perspective differently than just reading a report of an employee survey. So find a way to personally connect. And when you've done that, you're going to show up making decisions differently. What is driving your need to have employees back in the workplace? Is it a trust issue? Is it because it really is improving your service? Uh, Is it required in terms of enhanced communication? So you have to really unpack why you want your employees back in and then design your offerings around that. And then talk to employees about that. We need you in for X, Y, and Z. What do we need to do to uh, ensure that you feel safe and you feel supported? And I think the best element always is, is providing some control to the employee over that choice. So if you do have flexibility and it's not a 100% requirement to have your employees back in the office uh, five days a week, what can you give them some choice and control over? And I think if you're able to do that and share that conversation with them, employees start to feel, I think, more in control of their their own set of circumstances. And when you have more control, you're just going to show up differently and feel differently. So it's not a silver bullet. I'd like to be able to say, yes, as of this date, you can just have all employees return to work. Uh, and it's obviously not that, not that simple or easy. So it is about unpacking your own needs as to why you want employees back and what are the drivers behind it, and then involving your employees in the conversation and providing choice when you're able to do so. Yeah, there's a lot of nuances, and you hit it right on the head when you said each organization's different based on their employees, the demographic of those employees, location, you know, what's the policies, what's the local policy about having people gather in an office space? What is the layout of your office? If it was a cubicle farm, well, that may not be the best situation to have a bunch of people in there. So you'd have to stagger in when people come in and they would also have to be, all right, you could have four people in a cubicle area and they can be in four different departments. And then you have to negotiate with the management. Okay, when do you need them? And of course, a lot of people say, well, I need them here all these days. And if it conflicts, then you're like, okay, do we need to move people around? So disruption is a great word for what's going on and has been going on for a long time. But I think at the end of the day, the communication part is what it takes. And if your organization was good at that in the first place, you are likely navigating through these really difficult times 
a lot easier than organizations that didn't have strong communications. And I see that. You know, I, I can tell with the organizations that I deal with and talk with. I know which ones are okay with this. and I know which ones feel like they're drowning because they just didn't put in the time to have a communication method. And when you said, you know, the survey thing, yeah, you can look at it and say, okay, 26% would like to work from home more than they are right now. Okay. Why? Exactly. And what, you know, ask that deeper question, that next level question. Why? How is this beneficial to you as an employee? What does this do for our ROI as an organization by having a happier, healthier employee? That means when they are working on your stuff, they are more engaged. They're coming into work with a drive to let's do this, let's address this instead of, oh, they're making me go back in and I don't want to because I'm a caregiver or my kids are homeschooled. Who's who's going to teach my kids? I don't feel comfortable sending them to class right now. And there's, again, there's so many really strange parameters around all of this that has made this situation a lot more complex than we anticipated, but again, communication will help break down a lot of those barriers and, and help those organizations figure out what makes sense for everybody involved. And I, and lastly, I love the fact how you said when employees feel engaged and they feel like that they're part of the process, that makes a huge difference. Um, and because if they don't feel that they have a say in it, then when they're there, they're not really pleased about being there. They feel like they're forced to be there. And we all know none of us like being forced to do something. If it's against our desires or our, our concerns, then it just it creates volatility and it creates uh, some dynamics that we don't need in our workforce, quite frankly. Yeah, absolutely. No one as just people, none, none of us want to have something forced upon us. So that doesn't change because you are working nine to five and in the office, you're, you're a human. So you're going to feel the same if something is forced upon you. So wherever possible, if you can give choice and input uh, and allow some ability of that control, then that is going to produce an employee that's feeling more valued, treated like a human, respected, and listened to and heard. And that's what we all want as humans. So it's no different when you're in the workplace. You know, and I think it, it, you know, it's hard for senior leaders. You know, I try to figure out how I would try to wrestle with this and um, you know, make decisions. And you know, it's like I mentioned earlier, you, know, you would follow a process of communication, but you have to really always under look at your... Um, Underlying bias. So, you know, are you coming in thinking your employees aren't working the way they need to? I mean, you have to really address that and think that, are you feeling that way? And are you feeling like they're not working the eight hours you feel that they should, or they're not getting something accomplished? So you have to be honest with yourself as to what really is driving the intention to have employees come back to work. And I can say as a leader, I'm sure that thought would pop into my head. I, I think it would. It's not a, I think it's a natural thought depending on who you have working on your team. And if it really is a trust issue, then you need to find a way to address that and not just put the Band-Aid over it and then have them back in, in, in the office space. That's not the right reason to bring them back. But if the right reason is, you know, you're finding that, you know, your services are not as um, customer friendly, or you're seeing some quality issues, or you're seeing a lack of responsiveness, 
uh, lack of communication is producing errors. You know, you're not able to innovate like you once did. And you can't address those in a remote way. Then you do need to talk to your employees about how we can get the you know the organized office safely set up. I mean, there's tons of guidance with respect to cubicle design and um, office uh, common office areas, et cetera. So I think there's lots of support in that space. But you want employees involved in that nonetheless. So as you are restructuring cubicles, as you're looking at your lunch rooms and how you interact with each other. Don't just do it from an occupational health and safety perspective, do it from a, an employee engagement perspective. So have employees involved in the design. You know, I know occupational health and safety leaders right now are overwhelmed with the requirements that they have to hit. I mean, if something happens in that workplace uh, and there's an outbreak and, you know, unfortunately, if there's some serious illness or death as a result of that, these occupational health and safety leaders are on the hook. Uh, and so they really want tight control over the setup. And my advice to them is, yes, I understand that. And you can still have employee involvement. So I know you just want to do it, get it done. And it does take longer to involve employees. And yet they're going to think of something that you can't think of yourself. You're not working in the space. Uh, so involve them uh, as much as you can. I know it's harder. It takes longer, harder to navigate. Uh, and it's not a simple check in the box. And it will produce far more value for you. And it will increase the safety of your organization as a result of doing that. Because they have different eyes and they work in the environment themselves. So they'll see things that you don't. It's always good to have the employees involved in decision-making and get their input because you hit it right on the head. You, they see things we don't in senior leadership. Um, our offices are laid out differently. We're not necessarily in uh, the cube farms or front lines type of thing. So they see things and, and having their input on ideas and new initiatives uh, should always be the go-to. It doesn't mean that they are the final decision. That's, that's Correct. senior leadership. That's, um, that's why we earn, you know, th what we earn. It, it's not enough, never is, but that's why we earn it. Yeah. It's because the responsibility lies with us. So it's having the input is, is crucial. So we're going to crystal ball for a moment. Um, of course, we don't know when this pandemic is going to get to a stage where it eases up and we can start getting closer to whatever normal is going to look like down the road. But what are some hopes that you have as far as how leadership engages their organizations and some things that we will carry from this experience forward that's going to make leadership stronger for organizations and, and just make everything better? Uh, what are some things that you hope to see uh, that'll come from this? Yeah, I hope that uh, senior leaders have found a way um, through the pandemic to show up more human. Um, every single person has been impacted in a multitude of different ways. So no one is exempt from how they have navigated the pandemic. And so senior leaders showing up and sharing their own stories and being able to acknowledge um how they don't have all the answers and that, you know, they've gone through their own set of emotions and sharing that with employees, I think puts senior leaders at the same level as employees. We're all in this together. We're all experiencing our own issues. And if senior leaders can be vulnerable in that way and show up and acknowledge that, and then acknowledge what employees are going through and have them have the opportunity to share their own feelings and their own challenges. 
it puts them all together in the same boat, rowing, you know, hopefully in the same direction. You know, I think in the past, senior leaders always felt that they had to wear their suit of armor. Me too, uh, in, included in all that. And you had to have all the answers and uh, and lead the way forward. And in the pandemic, there is not really a direction forward um, yet. It's kind of moving all over the map as the circumstances change and the market changes depending on the business that you're in. So there's all these moving parts. And so being able to sit in all of that, share that, you know, gosh, it's uncomfortable. I don't know what to do all, you know, some days, most days. Uh, and in saying all that, I know this, this is our mission. We're here to serve our customers. We're here to be in service to you as employees. And what do we need to do together to kind of pull through this together and be that human and touch the human side of the employees. So that, that's my hope coming out of the pandemic is that senior leaders have felt more comfortable to show up as who they truly are, lead from that place, and then lead together with their employees and co-create the environment for their next normal, knowing it's not new, it's just whatever is next. And I see some leaders being able to have that sense of self that they can do that and have the confidence to be able to lead from a space of vulnerability. And then I have a lot of leaders that I speak with that aren't comfortable in that space and are still feeling the need to wear that armor uh, or lead from a place of ego where they're kind of blind still to the fact that um, that they have to show up different and don't understand the human condition and the needs that their employees have as well. So, yeah, hopefully there's more of a shift to the human side and leading from that place uh, of being in service and providing value and showing up and honoring the human in each other. Uh, and yet I know that the reality is that there's still, you know, some of the leaders out there that haven't quite grasped it yet, but we're still in the pandemic. So there's time, who knows, maybe they'll have an, uh, an awakening at some point before it all ends. There's always hope. Uh, and, you know, with the ever changing circumstances and cases increasing in some areas, decreasing in others and uh, navigating through all the variances of organizations and even you know, going real quick in a, a B2B type of situation where you have a business. It's like, a, we want to deal with businesses and have meetings with our clients who are other businesses, but their rules and guidelines aren't matching up with our guidelines. So how do we communicate even externally? And it's that it's it's literally like all the business rules that we were using and the tools and techniques, none of them are really working as well as they used to right now. Uh, in time, they will. Some will be, okay, we can return to doing things this way, but I anticipate there will be a lot of new ways of conducting business, both just internally with our employees and also with uh, external businesses and government agencies and everything else. So there's tons of opportunity uh, to be creative. And I, I tell people this all the time. It's like, look at this as an opportunity to look at your business and your organization and say, okay, if I could redesign things and do something that would be better for everybody that works for us and the people we serve, what would we do? How would we shape it? How would we design it? Take that opportunity to do it. This is, this is a great time as any to be able to take that on. 
Absolutely. And, and you've got in, in there's flexibility and understanding right now because everyone knows like, well, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, it, it's a little bit zany out there right now. So it's like, well, let's, let's do this. But again, the same thing when you have that communication with your employees, make sure you have it with your, your clients and your customers and stakeholders as well and get their input on things because we can come out of this. You know, may, some people may not look at this this way, but we can come out of this better than when we came into it. And that's, that's how I look at things. Go, okay, how can we make things better uh, because of this situation? And if we can all do that, um, organizations will be better. Society will be better. We'll be smarter and leaders will be a little bit more leading from their heart and not their ego. Um, and that will be a wonderful place to, to see. I know, I agree. And I think the same premise for um, working in a B2B situation is the same premise as working with your employees. It's the taking the time to have the conversation and understanding the requirements of that business who's your client. So if they have a different uh, set of expectations and rules in terms of working in office, and that's requiring you to kind of have to figure that out for your own organizational uh, structure and rules, it's about seeking to understand why they have that in place and looking at it from a requirement of business. Do you, you know, is this absolutely essential? And if so, how do you do it in the safest way possible? And then engaging your client in that conversation. I think people just don't take the time or they hear perhaps the story of what that client is expecting, but they actually don't know it for real. It's kind of passed through the grapevine. And sometimes if you just pick up the phone and talk to your client, you know, leader to leader, you can actually understand the reality of what's going on. And it's usually a bit different than what you're hearing. And then you can always work together to figure out what is going to be safest, most comfortable for both parties. And it just takes time to do that and an interest to actually understand the reality of what's going on and then figure out how you can work together to make the right thing happen for the right reasons. And if you do that, it always works out and people always kind of resist it because they don't want to pick that phone up, have that conversation, take the time because it feels like effort, but it's less effort to do that and get it right than it is to not have that conversation and get it wrong. And then the aftermath of getting it wrong in terms of employees not feeling safe, or maybe they aren't safe, or you don't conduct the business in the way it should be, that's far more difficult to clean up after the fact than it is to take the time on the forefront to get it right by having that initial conversation. So it's trying to reframe things for leaders as to the reality of what actually takes time. Uh, and to me, from Unfortunately, many lessons learned uh, from not doing it the right way. Uh, it is far easier to have the conversation, the engagement on the front end, than to clean up the aftermath when you don't take those steps and engage because you've made the decision in the wrong way. And then cleaning that up is far more cumbersome and far more difficult. And sometimes you can't quite clean it up all the way because employees have lost trust and uh, feel disrespected. And that takes so much longer to repair than it does to include them in the conversation and make the decisions the right way based on their feedback. Having bought many mops in my life, I know exactly <laughs> what you're referring to. So that's great. So Shana, I've enjoyed this conversation today. Where can people find out about you and this incredible work you're doing? Oh, thanks. It's been a pleasure to have this conversation with you, Michael. Uh, my website is www.shonaelliot.org, and that's S-H-O-N-A. 
E-L-L-I-O-T-T. Uh, and my book is there. My services are there. Uh, for folks who are interested, I'm happy to have a free 30-minute kind of strategy session and help point them in the direction they may need support in. Uh, and I'm pretty active on LinkedIn these days, so you can always find me there as well. Awesome. And I'll definitely have all that in the show notes. So Shona, great to connect with you again. Uh, love this chat today and continued success in all this work you're doing. Same here, Michael. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to The Breakfast Leadership Show, part of the Breakfast Leadership Network. Visit breakfastleadership.com for tips on empowering your business and your life.